listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Hello and welcome to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. I am Kevin Efflant, host of this program. Uh, last time we started talking about the covenant of grace. Uh, the covenant of grace is the covenant between God and believers with their children in which God promises salvation through faith in Christ who merited their salvation by his obedience in the covenant of redemption. So that's what the covenant of grace is. Now, as always, we need to ask the question, what does the Bible teach? It's one thing to say this is what John Calvin taught or this is what Martin Luther taught or uh, this is what some document from the 16th century Reformation taught. Uh, but it's another thing entirely and a, and a most important thing to be able to say this is what the Bible teaches. And so here's the question. The, the four aspects of the covenant of grace that we looked at in the last episode are those found in Scripture. And so we're going to think about those four points and we're going to ask the question, are these four things biblical? First of all, we said that within the definition of the covenant of grace is the idea that the covenant of grace is not universal. In Genesis 3.15, you might remember what God said to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That verse is what theologians refer to as the proto-evangelium. It just refers to the, the first promise of the gospel, a Latin phrase that means first gospel promise. Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've just broken the covenant of works, which we looked at a few episodes ago. They've just plunged the entire human race into sin. God would have been perfectly just to leave them in their sin, but that's not what God does, thankfully. Instead, he promises to send a savior. He promises to send one who will uh, bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, he will, he will save his people by defeating the devil. But there's something in that verse in Genesis 3.15 that shows us that this will not be a victory that is won for all people. Because God in that verse makes a very clear distinction between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In other words, there's a, a demarcation between the church and the world. The, 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 there's a line between the church and the world. And the very clear implication of this is that not all people will be delivered by the work of this Savior. And there are other passages of the Bible that make this very clear as well. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus says that the final judgment, he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep will go to eternal life. The goats will go to eternal damnation. Revelation 20 says that those whose names are not found written in the book of life, in other words, those who have not believed in Jesus, will be thrown into the lake of fire. There are many other passages we could look at, but the Bible is clear that God's saving grace is not for all people. You must believe. You must embrace Christ by faith. Secondly, the blessings of the covenant of grace are received by faith alone. Romans 3.23, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. There are other passages we could look at as well. The, the book of Galatians is basically dedicated to this important truth that justification is not by works. It's not by Jesus plus our efforts. It is by faith alone. 
Third, the covenant of grace includes the children of believers. Now, throughout history, church history, a question that has been hotly debated is, does God include our children in his covenant of grace? Historically, the Reformed Church and covenant theology has answered that question with a yes. Yes, our children are part of God's covenant community. And this, this isn't just our tradition. Um, this isn't just what we have believed for years. This is rooted in Scripture. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain slogan you might know that comes up in Scripture over and over. It's found in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. There's that uh, close, intimate connection that God has with his people. You've seen that in your Bibles before. Ezekiel 14, verse 11, God says, they will be my people and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see it again, Jeremiah 32, uh, Ezekiel 11, uh, Hebrews 8, Revelation 21, all throughout the Bible. But there's more to it than that. The Bible also tells us in no uncertain terms that our children are also part of this covenant relationship. Uh, think of two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Genesis 17 is the Old Testament passage. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. It's not just Abraham. It's Abraham and his offspring. New Testament passage is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. Uh, you might remember Peter preaches a, a very powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Uh, that is covenantal language. The Jews listening to Peter that day would have clearly understood it that way. Uh, that God covenants with believers and their children. And then number four, uh, we said last time that the blessings of the covenant of grace were merited for us by Christ, not by our works, uh, not by our efforts. You can get off the treadmill of trying to earn God's favor by your obedience, and you can rest in Christ. Back to Genesis 3.15, which we referred to a moment ago. If you If you look at the language in that verse, you will notice that that God is already giving us a hint about what we called last time the passive obedience of Christ. In other words, that Jesus would suffer and die for us. Uh, you will notice in that verse that God says that the Savior will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise the Savior's heel. Now, bruises are usually uh, fairly minor injuries. Maybe you've hit your head before and and for a few days, you've got a bruise there. It hurts a little bit, painful to touch, but it's not the, not the worst thing that could happen to you. Maybe you've stubbed your toe before, and, and for a few days it hurts a little, but again, it's not that big of a deal. But in that day, um, bruising a head or bruising a heel was a figure of speech. It was a figure of speech that meant death and defeat. And, and so already we have a hint here that the Savior whom God will send is going to suffer. Yes, he will deal a death blow to the serpent, but he himself will also suffer, which is exactly what Jesus endured throughout his earthly ministry and especially upon the cross. 
Now, there are many passages in the Bible that, that we could refer to, both Old and New Testament, that, that clearly teach that. Um, Isaiah 53 is perhaps the preeminent Old Testament one. Uh, the New Testament is filled with them. Hebrews 9.26 says that Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the death of himself. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. But it's not just Christ's passive obedience. Uh, there's also scriptural evidence for the active obedience of Christ. Matthew 3 says that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to obey all of God's law. Romans 5 says that by the one man's obedience, talking about Jesus, the many will be made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus knew no sin, highlighting his perfect righteousness. And so you put all of this together, and, and I think the, the case for the covenant of grace is really quite clear. Next time, we will again put all this together at the end, and we will ask the question, how does the covenant of grace now apply to me? And that's what we'll look at in the next episode. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.